0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So last week, um, we began to explore a topic called Radiant Mind. And... um, a quote from the Buddha, the mind my nature is radiant and pure. And the question that we proposed is um, what gets in the way? Right? What are the obstacles to that that radiance, that, that still calm, beautiful mind that's our birthright that we already have? And we explored um, some of the obstacles called the hindrances and the the friendly visitors that obscure this radiance and this stillness. And this week um, I want to explore a little bit more, maybe take a different um, look at this. And um, the Buddha also said that a radiant mind or there's freedom when the mind is free of um, aversion, delusion, and greed. And I'd like to just pause right here and explore the word freedom. What is freedom? What's your freedom? How are we free? what's the inner freedom, and what's the outer freedom. And all human beings have almost two struggles, to be free from internal suffering. All, all the difficulties that come up in the mind, the anxiety and the doubt, and the nervousness and tension that we all live with, um, I like to say, I've always, this joke is getting worn out, but I have a PhD in those. (laughs) And then, you know, I say that too often, and then somebody comes up and asks to read my dissertation, so I should be careful with my joke, but I do have a PhD in those. And um, so all of us want some freedom from the internal suffering that we face every day, and can be so paralyzing in our lives Um, and we all work hard have um, our personal difficulties our family difficulties and the internal world can become quite turbulent very easily so we want freedom from an internal suffering and then there's external freedom right there's the challenge of living in a free society a democratic society, a just society, a society without hatred, prejudice, safety, and many of us um, and pe- some people in the room are in um, struggle for social justice, and thank goodness for you, right? So, in um, some ways, a lot of us are fighting for um, freedom from prejudice, from dominant from racism, sexism, homophobia, yeah? So these are normal struggles that we all have. And one of um, my Spirit Rock teachers, Guy Armstrong, likes to point out that some of the greatest leaders in um, political struggle or social struggle have worked both on internal freedom and external freedom. They've tackled both at the same time, not one for the sake of the other. And um, the examples are obvious, you could tell me, right? Who are those people? Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Gandhi. Gandhi. who else? The Dalai Lama, who else? Martin Luther King, King. King. Cesar Chavez, Mother Teresa, Teresa. Um, Aung San Suu Kyi, Mm -hmm. beautiful Mm -hmm. examples of beings who sacrificed for the well-being of others but um, they didn't only address the outside difficulties, they brought the inside difficulties to their struggle. They worked on both. Right? Beautiful examples. So for us, um, we can take their teachings right, um, as inspiration of um, our work with Getting Free. So um, I'll change the subject a bit. When I thought about freedom, internal and external, um, what came to mind was a quote from DiPama. Has have anybody ever heard about DiPama? In, in yeah, Lola has. Okay. I have her book if anybody wants. I have her book too, but I gave it to somebody who <laughs> oh. did not return it. So, one day I'll have it again, um, and I'm going to look at her quote that I really love if I can find it. Uh, someone asked Dipama, "What's in your mind? You know, what's in your mind from day to day? What's the state of your mind?" And she said, there were only three things in my mind, concentration, loving kindness, and peace. And that for me is the inspiration for freedom, internal freedom, which would only help me with any struggle externally too, yeah? Concentration, loving kindness, and peace. And um, yesterday, we um, met, some of us, to practice concentration. Um, A small group of us in the morning yesterday, um, we did some sitting practice, Uh, many of them are here. And so we did 20 minutes of sitting, 20 minutes of walking, 20 minutes of sitting, 20 minutes of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I think they can uh, attest to the fact that just that simple Concentrated practice brought peace and ease, right? And some freedom for a little bit, right? Just for a little bit of the internal suffering. You know, cultivating that stillness. And I know many of you have gone on long retreats, Lola, three months, and Jane has gone for long sits, and on a few others. Um, you've gone, and. Um, So this cultivation of concentration is a groundwork for peace and ease. So yesterday we worked with concentration, and today, and um, we will add the um, loving kindness practice today. Kind of nice. I'm starting to feel really happy. (laughs) You know, that warm feeling of... um, sharing the blessings of practice with a community. It was just the sweetest thing. The sweetest thing. There's not little else that's better than that, to have beautiful community to practice with. So let me tell you a little bit about Deepa Mox. I find so much inspiration in her story, and I think you will too. Um, she was born in Bengal, Um, I don't know what year, she's passed, Um, she um, was um, in an arranged marriage, that happened when she was 12 years old, Mm. arranged marriage, and at 14, she left her family um, to uh, go with her husband, who she barely knew, to Burma. He had a job as a civil servant, and so she had to live far away from family at 14. Can you imagine? And become a wife to somebody she didn't know. And luckily that marriage turned out to be a good marriage for her. Um, But there were difficulties. And back in that day, um, if you couldn't bear a child, you were kind of not in good standing with your in-laws and your husband's family and maybe your husband. And so there was a lot of um, family strife, the fact that she couldn't have a child and um, her in-laws wanted her husband to separate from her and remarry. So can you imagine all of these things that we don't really go through here, but they're very difficult for a lot of women all over the globe. This is all normal things. So it took her 20 years, um, and she finally did have a child, and that child died at three months. And then um, a few years later, she managed to have another little girl um, called Dipa, and that's how she got her name, Dipa Ma, um, the mother of Dipa. Very cute. And um, shortly after that, she had a son, and that son also died. At age 41, she became ill, um, seriously ill, with a heart condition that really incapacitated her quite a bit. And as she was dealing with that illness, her husband died suddenly. And she was left um, physically, emotionally, and spiritually flatlined, you know. Um, and. Um, I think there were also accounts where she wanted to meditate and practice, and I think her husband said no. Um, I don't know if that was in the book, Lola, but I remember somebody mentioning that that she, um, she was taken to bed and she couldn't sleep and she had no energy and she couldn't function. And her doctor, because they were in Burma, which is a Buddhist country, her doctor suggested meditation. Pretty cool. Huh? So um, she took herself off to a monastery, and it said she was so weak, um, she had to crawl up the temple stairs to get there. And this is a quote from her. Uh, When I started doing the meditation, I was crying all of the time because I wanted to follow the instructions with full regard, but I couldn't do so because I could only fall asleep. Um, Even standing and walking, I fell asleep all of the time. I just needed to sleep. So I cried and cried because for five years I was trying to sleep and couldn't. And then I was trying to do meditation and all I could do was sleep. (laughs) I think some of you have felt this way, yeah? Um, I was trying so hard not to sleep, but I still couldn't. So she went to her teacher And the teacher said, well, if you're falling asleep, just sleep mindfully, Uh, (laughs) right? (laughs) Follow the instructions, and when you fall asleep, sleep mindfully, which she did for several years. She fell asleep, and she had the faith to keep practicing. I don't remember how many years she slept in the meditation hall, but it was a good amount, and then that ended. And I know myself similarly, and I do not compare myself to Deepa Mott, so please don't think that I do. Um, when I started to meditate, um, I also slept in the meditation hall for a long time. And I would wake up to um, crave deeply. The place where I meditated had a bakery, it was an ashram. And so when I would wake up from sleep, I would start to crave the um, chai and the spiced coffee and the great things they baked. So my meditation experience, for, I believe, for about two years was craving, eating, and sleeping. <laughs> but it ended, you know, and that's the thing, it does end if you have the faith and the determination um, and the willingness to. Stick it out on your cushion. These things pass. They're just visitors. Um, So um, Sharon Salzberg, who um, was her uh, student, and Joseph Goldstein um, said, um, her sense of understanding, the fragility of life, translated into tremendous love and care. So um, as um, she began to practice she developed this incredible presence of loving kindness that everyone could feel. And she was known to just take people in her arms. Um, And the comment about her is if you were with her, you just felt this shower of love. She radiated, radiated love because she had suffered so much. And that suffering brings such enormous compassion and capacity to care. She also developed very high states of concentration and was um, an extraordinary practitioner and um, Joseph and Sharon did bring her to i m s and she taught there so um However, difficulties still in, ensued. She had to raise her daughter by herself in great, great poverty and working—you know, not an easy life. But she still um, managed to practice with, keep, maintain an ardent practice. And um, when Deepa married and had a son, she became a grandmother. And she still had quite a bit of chores and responsibilities um, to help her daughter. And um, when someone asked her if she found her worldly concerns a hindrance, all the things she had to do, the poverty that they had to face, and she said, um, they're not a hindrance because whatever I do, the meditation is there. It never really leaves me. Even when I am talking, I'm meditating. When I'm eating or thinking about my daughter, that doesn't hinder my meditation. It's a pretty amazing thing, huh? It's inspiring to hear about her. And um, which is why, you know, we like to do sitting and walking and moving from sitting to walking to help us get that feeling of what it's like to carry the concentration and the meditation into movement into our lives. So we sit and walk and sit and walk. And here we talk, too. We practice mindful speech and eating. So let's see what else I could tell you about. Um, Sharon Salzberg says, Well, I would watch her as she played games with her young grandson, both of them laughing with pleasure. Then she would get up, Um, and give, this is when she was at IMS, she brought her grandson and her daughter and they gave her a little cottage to live in. And so, um, she was always taking care of her grandson, even while she was teaching. And um, so, both of them laughing with pleasure, and then she would get up and give some meditation instructions to someone, and then she'd do her laundry by hand, and hang it outside on the line, and then she'd do some walking meditation, and go back into the house and sit for a while. Her grandson would be running around the room. He was quite energetic. Uh, Her daughter would be cooking and watching TV, and she would meditate in the middle of all that activity. And then someone would arrive and sit down in front of her. She'd open her eyes, bless them, caress and hug them, give them some instruction, and then go back to meditating. It was all quite seamless. So, um, the thing that Sharon was trying to convey to us about her teacher diploma is that she was the same all the time, You know, she was the same person, she never deviated and um, for a lot of us we're um, not really, it, it takes a long time to be integrated in our practice, a long time And um, so, in other words, sometimes you're filled with love and kindness and radiating joy and compassion. I know I'm like that in the morning when I have my coffee and I'm sitting with my dog and I'm looking at my garden. But at 3 o'clock, after a few hard uh, hours at work, my mind is not like that. (laughs) Right? A few phone calls can do it. A few emails, right? Um, so, um, or sometimes, you know, we're really practic- we're with people and we're joyful, and our hearts are open because we so enjoy their company. And then we're home alone, and it's hard to be alone, and we're contracted, right? So we're compartmentalized. We can't always carry the state consistently. And Deepa Ma was that consistent person who was in loving kindness and concentration and peace all of the time and so she's our inspiration and um, I don't know if this is her quote or Sharon so I'll read it the practice was not meant only for this is hers she said the practice was not meant for somebody in a long ago time in a faraway place not only for Buddha sitting under a tree or for people who have the luxury of leaving their responsibilities behind we can do it ourselves. We can be free, and our effort to be free, which we are fully capable of, is available to us at any moment, right? So you don't have to go off and sit under the tree. Or, I mean, it's wonderful if you could go away for a long retreat, and I wish that for all of us, right? Um, but it's not an obstacle to practice. The practice is right here, right now. That's this message from Dhamma. In whatever your circumstance and your condition is, right, community really helps, as we know. Um, so um, the other thing that she did, and don't forget, it's not easy to be a female meditation teacher in Burma, right? Oh, Can you well, imagine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, in Burma, there's a tradition, it's been said, that um, only men could receive enlightenment. It's been and for, uh, very difficult for women to even take robes and become um, nuns. Or, um, and so she was told that, that only men could be enlightened, and women have to come back as a man in order to be fully enlightened. Right? That was the belief then. <laughs> And I know, I know. And she, at four feet tall, just would stare you down and say, really? Right? Yeah. You know, in her way. That was, um, she didn't buy that for a minute. That's freedom, right? Internal and external. No one will stop me from my, from my liberation, right? Not sexism or uh, patriarchy or old world beliefs, right? I'm in it. Right, I'm in it. Internal, external freedom. You cannot define me. So the last quote is um, from Sharon. Deepa exhibited no pretense, no fabrication. She was quite simple and direct, and there was never a sense that she was assuming the persona of a persona of a great spiritual being. Her loving kindness poured out of that simplicity and graciousness. So So I'll stop here. Um, The next time um, we meet I will um, also tell you about another amazing woman practitioner from I think Thailand. Another country where very rare to have a woman teacher. And her name is Upasika Ki Nanyan, and I have her book here, An Unentangled Knowing. and um, So I'll share that with you the next talk, some of her practices. But um, the reason why I bring this up now is I love this title, An Unentangled Knowing, right? How do we get out of the entanglement of our mind to know, to taste freedom? So what we'll do now is um, it's our tradition in this group to break up into small groups and to practice some mindful speaking and mindful listening. And what I'd like you to reflect on as a topic is um, what is your definition of freedom internally Externally. um, Where is it that you would like that tasted freedom? Or another way to go about this is when have you tasted this freedom? Right? Because you all have, we're just not always mindful of it. We have many, many moments where we are coming from loving kindness and peace, right? We're free of greed, we're free of delusion, we're free of aversion, anger, right? And we're just present, we're in awareness, we're resting in awareness. All of you have done this, because it's your birthright, right? It's, it's of you. It's not something you have to aspire to. But sometimes we don't notice it. Mostly because the default mode of, of the brain Likes to keep us in um, problem solving and um, fending off from anxiety and threat and telling stories about ourselves. You know, the mind doesn't always rest, but these states are very natural. It's a natural state and we are there. So when have you recognized a taste of freedom, a taste of an unentangled knowing? So just take a moment, maybe close your eyes, take a few breaths, and let's reflect on that. What is your taste of freedom? When was the last time you felt ease, calm, peace, at rest? Not perfectly, even a moment, a second, a touch. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.